Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So, my buddy Michael, he's on staff, you know him, he does announcements, he does graphics, he, does, he leads a house church with my wife and I and his wife, Amanda, was leading this morning. But a couple of years ago, my mentor, Don Williams, said to me at coffee, Don is 81 years old, he was uh, at Hollywood Presbyterian during the Jesus Movement, he's a theologian, trained uh, under C.H. Dodd, if you guys study the New Testament theology, he's a, he's a hero of mine, um, but anyways, Don is the real deal. He was a vineyard theologian. He's the real deal. He, he sat me down and he said, Darren, you're a great teacher. You're a great pastor. But do you want to be the best or do you want to raise up 10 better? And I was convicted. He's like, the way of Jesus is raising up 10 better. So he said, if you want to do it the way of Jesus, you need to pray for your little Darrens. Right? And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, well, you were 22 years old, called to ministry when God got a hold of your heart. You need to pray for 22-year-old men who feel called to ministry. So that week, I prayed, Jesus, give me a 22-year-old young man who is called to ministry. That Sunday, Michael shows up to the garden here from Riverside or Redlands, wherever. It's, yeah. it's like Sanry, so far. Sanry. It's, yeah. it's like really far. It's far. It's far. I shouldn't have been there that Sunday. Well, <laughs> but there's a bunch of them here, so we're not going to insult San Bernardino County. It's a great county in San Bernardino as it is in heaven. So... But this is a miracle because it's an answer to my prayer. It was an answer to Michael's prayer. Michael feels called to plant a church. And by the grace of God, he came. We started, he started an internship. I recognize that God has a calling on his life. God has um, destiny for him. And our job as leaders of the church is to recognize that in the church, raise them up and release them. And so if he's going to plant a church, he needs to learn how to preach, which he already is a preacher. But he needs, he needs to have time on this stage and this is Michael's first real, he did a, a thing um, before Easter, but this is his first time preaching, and we're going to see him preach more frequently because we want to raise up our best and give our best away. So before he begins, would you just stand as we pray, but would you give Michael a standing ovation for his first Sunday? Because that's how it's going to start. Yeah. All right. I want to pray while you guys stand. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, this man of God who, although he is young, models life for so many. Having known him now for a few years, having walked with him, I can speak confidently of the character that is in him and the life that you have for him. So, Jesus, would you bless him as he preaches? Bless us as we receive you um, in, the, in the word today and allow us to grow in this discipline and practice of prayer and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, Michael, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It's the first yes. book in the New Testament. Go for it. Yeah. Okay, so this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we're going to go back and forth today, co-teaching. And uh, I'm going to start off with the first part, and then he'll go into it, and then we'll close together. So here's the deal. Last week, we started part one of Teach Us to Pray. And Jesus' disciples come to him and say, hey, 
teach us how to pray, which is interesting because Jesus proclaimed the gospel, casted out demons, healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, gave sight to the blind, walked on water, multiplied food for 5,000 men. And they don't ever ask him how to do any of those things. They ask him how to pray. And that's significant because what we see in the gospels is Jesus is a man of prayer. He's marked by prayer. The source of his spiritual life with the Father is in prayer. He has success in ministry. Crowds are coming to him. Everyone's being healed. And the very next thing he does is go away into silence and solitude to be alone in prayer. So we see that in Jesus's life, prayer is a big deal. But as he teaches his disciples to pray, he gives them the Lord's Prayer, which is not something that we should just be reciting, although that's important. It's a template for life and spirituality with God. And so we said prayer is about creating and sustaining connection and intimacy with God. It's the way we have relationship with God. It's a conversation. We talk and we listen um, and we dialogue. And so the goal is intimacy with God, ongoing loving relationship where we're constantly praying uh, I shared a story last last week about the man who uh, who dies, and before he dies, he had this he had this prayer practice where he'd, he would set a chair next to his bed and talk to Jesus as if he was there. And uh, when he died, he was found having passed as an old man. Right before he died, he leaned and fell and died on the chair next to him. And that, that's kind of the goal, I hope, for us, is that to have that type of intimacy where we long to be in the presence of God regularly. Um, last week, we said there were three points to the, the first part of the Lord's Prayer. One is um, God is our Father. Two is that God is near. And three is prayer is about enjoying God. Um, to hallow God's name, to make it holy, is to come into direct relationship with the God who really is, the way He is. Um, holy, set apart, and we, we derive our well-being from that relationship, not just circumstances or earthly relationships, but from the presence of the Father. Are you with me? It's all review. So this week we're going to kick off and finish this Lord's Prayer. So we're going to start with Matthew 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he's teaching us to cry out for God's kingdom. And Matthew clarifies this, Luke doesn't, but also his will, so we know what we're talking about with his kingdom. It's the same idea, it's the character of God. But the kingdom would become reality on earth. And lots is going on. We've talked so much about God's kingdom. The message of God's kingdom was the primary message of Jesus. We know that the kingdom of God is God's reign or God's rule. It's what life would look like if God was in charge. And we see throughout the scriptures that that life is marked by healing, by peace, by wholeness, by justice, by forgiveness, by the Holy Spirit, uh, by generosity. And so when we pray, God, your kingdom come on earth As it is in heaven, we're saying, God, that way of life where your will and your reign is effective in reality, come and bring that into our reality. Are you with me? It's a cry. It's a petition for God's kingdom to come. When we pray like this, we are aligning our hopes and our heart with God's hope and heart for the world. So this is what prayer is training us to do, aligning ourselves with God's hope and heart for the world, his way of life. And so we know that life is in, like, we can look around right now and recognize that God's kingdom 
is not reality everywhere on earth. Would you agree? So this is a really important theological kind of nugget to hold on to, okay? Because this, this is going to challenge much of our assumptions about what, who God is and what it's like to live in his world. Because when, God's, when Jesus teaches us to pray God's kingdom, wherever we are, it's also recognizing that his kingdom is not fully present everywhere we are. We can look around in our own life and see suffering and pain, addiction, <coughs> anger, inappropriate anger, lust, pride, greed, envy, jealousy. I'm just giving you my list. Um, I could open it up to the room, but then we'll be here all day. Uh, we can look around at our city and recognize that the city, that Long Beach and San Bernardino has brokenness. It's not perfect. It is not reality yet for God's kingdom to be here. That's why we pray. That's why we work. That's why it's our vision to organize our community around the city that God desires it to be. Are you with me? This is what Jesus is getting in, into your heart, that when you pray, you're aligning yourself with God's vision and heart for the world that you live in, your life to be an expression of God's ultimate reality birthed in you through relationship with Jesus, but also through the community. Our church would be a taste of God's kingdom on earth. That's why when we take care of each other's needs, when we share our resources in a, a, a gener generous way, it's a little bit of heaven on earth. Isn't that cool? Like in the first service, I had a word of knowledge. Hey, there's somebody here who had, uh, has a car that broke down this week and you can't afford to fix it. And so they came forward for prayer. That's amazing that God gave us a word of knowledge to pray for them. Somebody said, that's on you to take care of. So they went to the car and grabbed cash. They didn't know who it was. And as they walked in, they bumped into each other. And the guy was like, hey, are you the person with the car? And she said, yes. And it was the amount that was needed. That just happened. That just happened this morning, like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> That's living in the reality of God's kingdom and becoming a participant because prayer is about partnering with God. Before I get into that, let me just say this. Your prayers make a difference. Your prayers make a difference. Your prayers matter. Your prayers change reality. Because if you believe, if you agree with me that Jesus is teaching us to pray God's kingdom on earth, he's, he's saying, look, work and pray to extend God's way of life wherever you are because it's not everywhere yet. It will be eventually, but let's work to see it become reality. Then you recognize that pain, suffering, injustice, human trafficking, human slavery, poverty, the fact that people don't have clean water around the world, that is not God's desire for the world. Would you say amen to that? Amen. And if you believe that, then you have to know that your prayers matter. Jesus isn't teaching you to pray because God's going to do his thing his way. Jesus is teaching you to partner with God and what he wants to do. And he's, sometimes God is waiting on you. Just read the scriptures. We can talk about that later. We're almost there. I know you're getting excited because it's coming. Here we go. I'm just, I'm just the hype guy. I'm the warm-up for... I just wish I could take notes right now. No, I'll you don't move. have to, bro. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking notes. So um, one of the problems we have is we are so bent towards fatalism when it comes to prayer. Does God really hear my prayers? Does it really change anything about what's going to happen? And that's... Oh, and we have these Christian cliches that we need to get rid of. And this is going to offend some of you. But just get ready for it. You can be offended. We say, oh, I'll pray for you, but God's in control. 
That's not biblical. God's in charge. He's sovereign. And he will work everything out and has the final word. But he did not design people to die from genocide. That's a result of the fallen and broken world. And that's a result of sin. Are you with me? So we have to have a good theology of the now kingdom breaking in and the not yet, which is not everyone's going to get healed in prayer. Not everyone's going to experience justice in this life, but they will in the age to come. So we have hope for what's to come and we pray and we pray that reality into the now. Are you with me? Is that helpful? You can email Michael about that stuff later. Um, So prayer is partnership with God. We learn to do that. Michael, take it from there. Go for it. Yeah, my email is at uh, darren at garden.church. But before we we move into the next part of the Lord's Prayer, I want to pause and look forward to what we just reviewed because Jesus kind of divided the Lord's Prayer into two parts. The first part is all about who God is as Father. We approach Him as Father. He's good. He's near. And we want His kingdom on earth. Notice He doesn't ask for anything until the second half. But we kind of switch it around. It's the second half when He says, Give us each day our daily bread. It's halfway through the prayer. But most of us, including myself, the problem with prayer that I was taught is that you just come to God as some cosmic vending machine or cosmic genie, and you're like, hey, God, can I please have this? And then you move on to the next thing. Oh, God, I I just need this. I need this job, but let me uh, move on to the next thing. And you just like, God is just kind of this transactional kind of um, being in the sky that may or may not listen. But that's not what Jesus teaches us. Because what Jesus teaches us is that God wants you to be with him first and to acknowledge that he's father and he wants to be with you and to talk with you. We don't approach, uh, we don't approach God that way because D- Jesus didn't approach God that way. Jesus enjoyed being in the presence of the father. He didn't, it, he didn't find it as a bore like most of us because when you just come with a list, it's not fun for God. <laughs> it's not fun for you either. God actually just wants you to be with him and to acknowledge that he is father and he wants to spend time with you and to, for you to enjoy that, to sit in the presence of the father. And then after you enjoy him, he's like, okay, well, tell me what you need. Because, you, you, I mean, some of us have dads, some of us know our dads, but you don't just come up with your dad and just like say, list off these things. You just want to be with him a lot of the times. Darren mentioned that last week as his son runs up to him and hugs him. That's what Jesus is the image that he wants us to have. Not like, hey, dad, I want this. Bye. (laughs) I'm going to go play video games. Um, It's more like this deep relation with uh, God. He is our father, and we should want to be with him as much as he wants to be with us. There's this quote on prayer uh, that I got. Uh, Prayer is essentially the expression of our heart longing for love. It is not so much the listing of our requests, but the breathing out of our one deepest request to be united with God as fully as possible. I want to just say that one more time because it's just so good. It is not so much the listing of our requests, but the breathing out of our one deepest request to be united with God as fully as possible. And I want to add this at the, at the end, to be united as, with God as fully as possible in heart, in mind, in soul, and in strength. To be with him and to become like him. That's what we talk about. Being an apprentice to Jesus is to be with Jesus, to become like him, and then to do what he did. Our, our goal in prayer is not just to have this tr- 
transactional relationship, this materialistic way of approaching God. It's more of like being with him and becoming like Jesus and then going forth and bringing that to wherever you go. And once we have that, because most of my life I had a wrong approach. I started off with my wants and then moved on. God, please protect me from quicksand when I was a kid. Please protect me from snakes, from spiders. Thank Dude, you. Dude, San Bernardino has snakes and quicksand? No, it's just I, I thought it was a bigger Dude, deal out, when man. I was a kid than, I, than it actually was. But, that, but like we, we approach God with this false model of prayer. We need to approach him with the model that Jesus gives us because Jesus enjoyed being in the Father's presence. Jesus shows us that when we are in the Father's presence, our hearts are reoriented to harmonize with the heart of God. Um, uh, I lost my place. There we go. No, I'm here. Now we can move on to the second half. That was it. I want to end on that mic drop. Harmonizing with the heart of God. But then, this, but then we move into the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which is give us each day our daily bread. And I always thought that this was such like a weird thing because like, hasn't, like bread, when you're, if you work out, you know like bread is like the enemy. It's like you don't like want any carbs at all. So I was like, why is it bread? It just never made sense. But if you look at the context in the ancient Near, ancient Near Eastern context, Bread was present at every meal, so it was significant. It was the building block of people's lives. Bread wasn't just carbs to people. I don't, they probably didn't know what carbs were. But like bread was actually a symbol of, hey, health that you can eat and sustain your life. It was a symbol that you had a job that you could afford to pay to get bread. It was a symbol that you actually had money to get bread. It was a symbol that the government around you was working uh, well so that you could attain bread. It wasn't just carbs. It wasn't just this like food. It was the bare necessity of life. See, what Jesus shows us in asking for our daily bread is that we're allowed to bring our needs to God, our basic needs to be human, to live human. Notice, Jesus actually puts this before the second part, forgive us our sins. So I think we, we mess, when we approach God, when we pray, we, miss, we mix everything up and we're like, I need to be this worm and come to God. Like, you know, if you guys have watched Hercules when pain and panic are in front of Hades and they're like, that's how I feel a lot of us approach God. We mix everything up and you're like, I'm unworthy. But what Jesus shows us is that you're, you, you're with the Father. You have a, a right image of the Father. That's important when we talked about last week. But then he cares about your needs. You're allowed to bring your needs to him. And then you move on to what the rest of the prayer. But one thing before we move on that's so important is that it, it marks the whole Lord's Prayer, but specifically this part. Give us, us each day our daily bread. Jesus doesn't, for his context, having a personal relationship with God is important. And he called, like, calling the Father Abba is so personal. Like we have a personal relationship with Jesus, but Jesus shows you that when you pray to God, it's never just you and him. You're praying on behalf of the church. Give us each day our daily bread. When I pray, it's not just for me. It's not just for my wife. It's for my brothers and sisters here at the garden. That's what's so beautiful about seeing uh, the thank you slide that we had with the budget. When the garden as a church, we pray, give us each day our daily bread. So then we're given extra 
because we want to give away to others. Our daily bread is also part of someone else's daily bread. If you're given daily bread, notice Jesus, as one scholar puts it, doesn't say, give us each day our daily cake. We don't come to God with our, our wants for every such and such, and such that and whatever. He, he teaches us to ask for our needs. And if he gives us extra, that is good for others. We need to be generous when we're given more than we need to our brothers and sisters who are also praying, give us each day our daily bread. And that's so vital because it, it roots us in the earthiness of the Lord's prayer that it's not just Father who's far off. It's Father who is near, who loves me. I want to see your kingdom on earth and it, I can bring my needs to you but I'm also part of this body. I get to pray for others. And that's important for the second uh, point, the second uh, petition in this half of the Lord's Prayer is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As followers of Jesus in our cultural moment, there's a few things that I think we need to like put our like finger on the pulse and realize that can kill our discipleship to Jesus. One is comparison. So, Comparison is a killer to your discipleship because what Jesus or God wants to do in your personal walk, and if you're looking over at someone else and saying, I want to be like that, you're going to miss what God wants to do in, with, and through you. So comparison is one, a killer of discipleship. The second, and I think more importantly, is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness can kill your discipleship to Jesus. Unforgiveness to, uh, for others, but also unforgiveness of self. We need to learn how to, re- to, give, for, uh, to be freely, uh, to give forgiveness, but also to receive it ourselves. The easy part of the Lord's prayer is that we're already forgiven. That's like the easy part, because we can ask God for our, uh, to forgive us, but like he's already done that. He's forgotten our sins as far as east is from the west. The problem in, or, or what Jesus is bringing up to daily pray this is that we need to remember that we also have sinned. Yes, we're saints. Paul calls us saints. We are seen as saints, but we're saints who sin. So we have to continually remember that when you're in the presence of the Father, you realize how good he is and you wanna see his kingdom on earth. You realize sin is a part of this world and it's also a part of your reality. And you need to bring that to him. But when you realize how much he loves you and he's forgiven you, you need to be freely to give that away. Um, I'm reminded of the, the parable of the unforgiving servant that uh, Jesus mentions in Matthew. So if you guys are unfamiliar, I'm sure we've talked about it here, but just to recap, there's this king and this servant, we'll call him servant A. Servant A owes this king like a a bunch of money, a buttload of money, if I can say that. But like, an, like uh, this uh, amount of money, like to like, to like put him to perspective, it's like three years worth of wages. And, and when the king is collecting, the servant is, servant A is on his knees praying, saying like, be merciful on me, I'll just give me more time, which is dumb because he already had enough time and more time is not gonna do him any better. But he prays and he pleads and the king forgives him all the debt. That's insane. Secondly, the servant A goes to his servant B, and servant B owes servant A like $100 worth, a day's worth. And he starts choking servant B out, and then servant B starts, the same plea that servant A gave to the king, gives to servant A, and servant A does not, he, he, he doesn't have any of it. He sends servant B to jail. And the king hears about this, and he's like, you're so foolish. I forgave you like so much money, 
and you're gonna, you're gonna be petty about this small inkling of a, a, a debt. And so we're invited into that because followers of Jesus do not get the luxury of unforgiveness. <laughs> My job. An early church father said this, to ask forgiveness from God as a great benefit and then to deny the same from others is to mock God. We have been forgiven for so much and yet we forget that God has forgiven us so we hold on to grudges on our own so we come to God in this way of like, I'm so unworthy, I'm a worm, forgive me and then he's like, you're already forgiven. Did you not know that? I'm a good father. I've loved you. I've forgiven you. But then we're so slow to forgive our brothers and sisters. And so forgiveness is so important. And I just want to note this. We, um, I want to bring attention to this again. Jesus makes sure that this is at the end of the, the Lord's Prayer, the backside of it, because the first half is meant for us to be in the presence of the Father, to sit at his feet, to realize that he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And we want to see that kind of love that we're experiencing on earth as it is in heaven. And then when the Father is enjoying our presence as much as we should be enjoying his presence, he's like, okay, tell me your needs. Okay. I've seen that you did this. I forgive you. Let's move on. It's, it's, Jesus intentionally puts at the end because the important thing about prayer is being with the Father. Um, the Father has no interest in, in having a relationship with children who just come to ask for extra money or to just uh, talk whenever they mess up. He wants to have a relationship with you and deep relationship with you. Again, I want to mention that forgiveness is very difficult for us um, I th- because it's, it might take a thousand times for you to forgive this one person for one thing they've done. But also sometimes forgiveness is quite easy and we can forgive um, a certain person for one thing that they've done, even if it was massive. So forgiveness is tricky, but Jesus puts it in the Lord's Prayer because it's something that we constantly need to ask for and it's something that constantly we need to give to others. Um, and this is actually probably why it's so difficult for some, some of us to pray because um, it's quite easy and it's quite nice to hold on to anger. It sometimes feels good to uh, hold on to unforgiveness and to gossip about others. But the problem when we come to prayer, some of us have a good image of the Father because we probably had good dads. So coming and thinking of God as a good father is easy. But the problem is our identities as children of uh, our identity as children of God is hard to swallow sometimes because it's like, oh yeah, I should probably forgive that person because I've been forgiven much. And we don't like to be reminded of that. And so the invitation is spend time with the Father, realize how much he's done for us, realize how much he's forgiven us for, and then we can have this deep relationship where we ask for what we need and we ask for forgiveness because we have been forgiven much and then we can give it to others. Um, And then with that, unforgiveness becomes a non-issue in the church because unforgiveness is not characteristic to those who are saturated in the presence of God, in the, pre- in the presence of the Father. It becomes a non-issue and it, we don't need it anymore. So that's the invitation when we, as a, as a body, remember that when we ask for our daily bread, it's for community, and we ask for forgiveness, it's for community as well. It's not just for you and Jesus. So good. So I think what we see... 
is this template for prayer is a template for life. Yeah. Right? So how we interact with God impacts how we interact with each other. And I think that's the obvious thing that we see in this prayer. And I was funny because after he shared this, Michael shared this, I was, I was immediately convicted about something that happened this morning. If you can imagine, there I was, 7 o'clock in the morning, outside in our little office, preparing for today's Sunday sermon. And um, Alex, you know, Ezra was with me already. He woke up, and then Amos woke up, so I, I had to go get him. And I was watching the monitor, letting Alex sleep in, because I'm a good husband at times. <clears throat> In a second, I won't be. And then I, so Alex kind of said something about having to get ready and, you know, both kids. And I said something back, which wasn't necessarily rude. Like it wasn't taken. I didn't intend it to come out the way it did. Anyone else can struggle? (laughs) Like, I feel like the statement, I I was like, but that's not what I meant by what I said. Amen. It's how you said it. So... (laughs) But so I, both kids are inside. I'm out by myself working on this sermon. Luckily, I missed this part, the forgiveness part. And, um, but there I was. I couldn't work. I was like, wait. I, I'm like trying to like, okay, get this into my heart. And I'm like, oh, there's like this massive wedge. I needed to go talk to Alex and spend a few minutes working through what, what did you hear? How did it come? I'm so like, and so I had to ask for forgiveness. And not that, can anyone relate to that? And that's how it works. And it's funny because I was, I just, as you're preaching, first Peter pops into my head and there's this passage where Peter writes, he says, husbands, live considerate um, towards your wives. Like watch the way you live towards your wives. And then it ends with, so that you do not hinder your prayers. Ding, 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 ding. That's exactly what happened to me today. It's like Peter, like there is a direct connection with how we relate and connect with each other and our relationship with God. And I think that's it. So there's part two, man. Yeah. Br- bring it home on that. You're killing it. Okay. <laughs> Freaking, uh, it's so good. I'm so proud right now. So Peter, uh, uh, it says, verse 13, we're going to continue. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This section of the passage of the Lord's Prayer is, is difficult. It's probably the hardest part for this prayer because it challenges some perspective. And I think part of it is we've interpreted some of this literally and Throughout the scripture, it doesn't necessarily fit the nature of God in some ways. Like James clearly says, God does not tempt us. Um, But the word temptation is actually better translated in Greek, test. So this, this phrase of don't lead us into temptation is better translated in Greek uh, to testing. So I believe that that's true. God tests us, Right? It says in the scriptures that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led by the Spirit to be tested and tempted by Satan. So as often as we pray this, what is it that we're actually praying here? When we say, God, lead us not into temptation. Well, um, what we are praying, and this is the best kind of understanding from different scholars that I could come up with. So you can go and do the research on your own. You You should. But we are praying that the test won't be so hard that we are tempted to quit, to give up, or to surrender into temptation. So test becomes temptation based on our response to the test. Does that make sense? Um, And so that's what Jesus is asking us to pray. And, And if I could rephrase it from scholars' help, in essence, it's a prayer for courage and strength in the crucible moments of our lives. Mm -hmm. Lord, 
make me courageous and strong to face challenges with your character. That's what we're praying with this text. Lead us not into temptation. The truth is you have an adversary who is opposing your life and he's an agent of testing and he wants to break you. And the temptation we will face is to give up and to give in. Let me speak to that for a second. Because most of us aren't being tempted by the enemy to give up our faith, right? So when Matthew writes this, he writes this to the church in Rome at the time and a bunch of Jews living there that are Christian and they're being persecuted. So for them, this is real. Like, I want to remain faithful to death. I don't want to be tempted to give up my faith so I I don't die. For most of us, it's a different kind of temptation. And by the way, let me just say, we're not experiencing Christian persecution when our friends at work don't like that we're talking about our faith. That's not persecution. Can I just, can, is that okay? Can I say that here? Persecution when you are being beaten, killed for your faith. We don't have that problem here yet or right now. That's not persecution. I just need to clear that up because I don't want to hear like you're feeling persecuted because your friend at the water jug at the, at the office is laughing that you're Christian. That's not persecution. You good? Okay, so what Jesus is saying in this passage for us in our daily lives is this. When you walk into ordinary life, you will be tempted by an adversary and a million things that are around you. Don't fall into temptation. Pray that God will give you strength to live in the character that he is and has. So practically speaking, let's just use this illustration. I don't know if it's helpful. Maybe it's not. Let's just say you're on a Whole30 diet, okay? I'm not, so you can give me plenty of junk food. I'm fine. Um, (laughs) Let's say you're on the Whole30 diet, which says you can't have any sugar, okay? No sugar. But you go to a party, and it's a sugar party. Everyone's got sugar. (laughs) So you're praying, Lord. Like, so now let's talk. The sugar equals sin, okay? On the Whole30 diet, that works, okay? So... You're, you're, I don't want to be tempted. I don't want to break this fast. I don't want to fall into temptation. Now, one way is to stay courageous in the midst of all this temptation at the sugar party, which is basically a four-year-old's birthday, or, <laughs> it's true, or to live in a way where you have the wisdom to not show up. Right? To not walk down the street that's causing you to be tempted. Living with courage and strength and character is to recognize wisdom is to take a different road. Wisdom is to say, no, not available. That's what Jesus is after because he knows just like forgiveness is connected to prayer, your life is contested by a kingdom of darkness, the evil one. And we, we because of secularism, because of Western culture, Um, we do not attribute what's happening in the world to cosmic beings that are opposed to God's kingdom. But it is part of the reality that there is a war for your soul and Jesus is saying, engage in the war. It's been won and he's victorious. He's disarmed the powers, but they're still kicking around until the second coming, until the age to come is fully realized. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. So practically speaking, um, you will be tempted The moment you leave, you will be tempted a million different ways because I believe God's calling you into righteousness, holiness, and purity, but we're not always listening because we think sin, like big things. Now, big things are an issue. Like, 
pornography addiction, all, all the things. We go down the list, lying, greed, envy. These are things we need, we're going to be tempted by, defining ourselves by consumerism, sexuality. All these things are an issue. And those are, of course, we're going to be tempted by those. But there's also other things that are temptations to us because God has said no to us about those things. And obedience is saying, well, if God said to you right now, Netflix is not in your life, you follow through with that. Don't be tempted to check out and enjoy Netflix because God's invited you into this journey for a test. It might start as a test because he wants your imagination. He wants your marriage to be thriving. He wants conversation at bedtime, not checking out on two different phones in a show. For all of you married people, it got real quiet. Is he, is he watching us? No, I'm not. The point, here's what I'm getting at. Here's what I believe. That um, temptation, on the other side of temptation, is uh, glory and destiny and greater intimacy with God. This is what happens. So Jesus is tested, led by the Spirit, to be tested by Satan. And then when he comes out of that, it says he comes, he, he's out, comes out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something there for us to recognize that often our temptations are connected to our destinies. What do I mean by destiny? Well, so for me, I'll just speak this and we'll get more generic. Like the Lord has keep, keeps talking to me about Romans 8, like a mind governed by the Spirit is, uh, leads to life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Wow. My prayer warrior knows the passage, Romans 8, 6. So here's, here's what, what's going on. I feel like the Lord's saying, hey, oh, your mind is an imagination. And because we live in an, it's called by economists, attention economy. Everything is trying to get our attention and keep us addicted to things. I want you to guard your mind and steward your imagination. Don't just fill it with Netflix and I, uh, you know, uh, NPR and podcasts and, and books. Fill it with me. And so this is something personal that I'm working on. And right now the temptation is to check out on my phone, to watch more of the Netflix. Nothing wrong. They're not, it's not sin. It's an invitation because that temptation, if I follow through, God will bring me breakthrough, greater victory, and destiny. Some of you have depression in this room. And some of it is chemical. You've always dealt with it. You're on, you're on medication, and that's totally fine. I want you to know I'm not saying anything about that. Some of us have depression as a result of the enemy as a result of the culture we're in, as a result of lifestyle things that are going on. And I think what's happened with depression and anxiety, it's caused our generation to focus internally. It's all about me. And when we're, t- and I'm not saying this across the board for anxiety and, t- and depression. Please don't see it. You guys, disclaimer, it's not for everyone, okay? Can you hear this? But what I do see is because it's all about me, generation, all this self-focus, is what we don't see about that temptation to go inner and just think about our emotions all the time that it, we miss the opportunity to, to bring people to the God story, to lift people's heads up, to see the other people in the room. So when we're tempted to just focus on ourselves, we miss the glory or the breakthrough of getting others to see God. Does that make sense? I think that's what's going on on a greater cultural level. And I, I, I'm not, I can't speak like as an expert. I just sense and I'm feeling that there's something going on in our culture that's causing us to focus inward 
internally on our emotions and how we fit in on this greater thing. It's created more anxiety than ever before. And it's, it's created uh, this lack of presence to the world around us. And our job is to engage as a non-anxious presence with courage. Are you with me? And then you can go across the board. So think about, I would just encourage you, what are the things that you're tempted with? Comparison? Need to make people happy so you do things based on that? It's often connected to something that God's calling you into. Just, to, just play around with that, okay? Okay, is that okay? Deliver us from evil and from the evil one. What uh, Jesus is essentially saying is uh, there is an enemy, and uh, he's inviting us to recognize that the, the enemy, the alternate kingdom, the kingdom of, the, of Satan, um, his evil will rob us from daily bread, will fragment our relationships. It's evil that beckons us to self-destruction. So we need deliverance, freedom, and liberation. It says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You need to pray this regularly because you're regularly trapped by the schemes of the enemy. I'm regularly trapped by the schemes of the enemy. And so, Lord, would you deliver me from these things? That's the prayer. Just causing, recognizing that John summarizes it. Jesus came to defeat the works of the devil. If you summarize the ministry of Jesus, Mark says it's preaching the kingdom and deliverance of evil spirits. Matthew says it's preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, and delivering people from evil spirits. Luke says it's preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, and deliverance of evil spirits. So do you think deliverance is something that we need to participate in? Thank you for four of you. So with that, let's close with some practicals real quick. So why don't you... Michael, just quickly, we only yeah. have a few minutes. Yeah. Go through these prayer practicals, and I'll go through the quiet time. So if you want to take your phone and just take pictures of the next few slides, it's going to be really helpful. These are just practicals. One, pray all the time. Um, when it comes to prayer, just learn to just pray wherever you're at. While you're talking to someone, while you're walking, it doesn't have to be in a prayer room. It doesn't have to be with a prayer candle. While those are all nice, you can totally do it wherever you are. This is a relational thing that has to become a part of your daily rhythm. Second, pray through the Bible. Um, the, the scriptures are God-breathed through human hands, and so it's God's words, and we're able to uh, pray that back to him. As you read through our, script, uh, our reading plan, you read in Corinthians or you read in Psalms, and whatever you read, just pause, and if something is stirring in you, just pray it back to God. Whatever feelings, whatever words, pray that back to God. Um, schedule time for prayer. Prayer is... Like, I think a lot of us think it has to happen normal. Whenever I feel like it, whenever I feel great, I'll approach God. But just like any relationship, when I was dating my wife, we needed to schedule time together. And the same thing is with the Father. He, because we're so distracted, we need to make intentional time, whether it be 15 minutes a day. Okay, some of us, five minutes a week. Like, I, I get it. Like, let's start small. But start off with scheduling time with the Father, and then allow it to grow more and more and more, and then it will become organic. Make a prayer list. Write down everything. That's like, like so, a lot of us try to just come in, we, we will pray for the t- same 10 things, quicksand, uh, <laughs> a snake, whatever. Did you grow up with Pitfall? No, by chance? Like, you guys know what Pitfall just, was? Remember that game? It's quicksand, right? Just rem- you just watch cartoons. Zelda? Everywhere. Um, that's what I thought. Um, so like, but when we... Quicksand. quicksand. I just want to pause real quick. Let's just, it's a moment that you really prayed for quicksand. A hundred percent. Wow, okay. Quicksand, snakes... <laughs> And uh, spiders. I was just so scared of that. So cool, bro. Keep going. (laughs) 
But uh, make a prayer list because a lot of us, we just get lost in our thoughts, but it's okay to write down your friends' names, your family names, the things that you're struggling with. When people come to you and ask for prayer, write it down. It's totally fine because when you come to the Father, you have a list of saying, hey, these are the needs that I've been hearing. These are the needs in my life. Let me read them off to you. And that's fine. You can totally do that. Feel free, the permission to do that. Last, intercessory prayer for family, community, city, and the world. Again, we, when we pray, give us our daily bread. We're reminded that we're rooted in the earth and the king, uh, we want to see a kingdom come against the kingdom that is currently in opposition to God's kingdom. So we regularly have to bring our family into prayer. We regularly bring our city into prayer. We regularly bring our state, our country, our president, as much as that's probably hard for some of us. But to bring these things to prayer because it's we are interceding to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. So a couple more things. Um, quiet time. I, I want to bring back the quiet time. How many of you practice quiet time every five times a week? Okay, hand guys. This like we're we're at this crisis moment in the church in the Western context. We're not reading the Bible anymore. We're not praying anymore. We're not engaged in spiritual things. Christianity has become a cultural thing, and this is why it's going to die out in the next generation unless we wake up to the reality of who Jesus is and we choose to not just practice our faith but to vibrantly go after things of the kingdom of God. So it's, this is like real practical. I want to invite you to practice quiet time. And I talked about this last week, but here's the deal. Wake up, number one, this is what quiet time looks like, and create space to be alone with God. So if you have kids like me, you got to get up early or you got to do it after they're asleep. If you have roommates, you got to close your door. If you can't do that because there's someone in there and they're always talking, go somewhere, put some headphones on and get alone with God. That's important. Create space. Start with scripture. Read scripture. Scripture for me is where I always begin. I start with the reading plan at the garden, one chapter, one psalm. I also read on top of that. But for me, it's like the lighter to the fire, right? It's a starter. And we need to be people that are reading God's word. For those of you that are constantly like, oh, I just don't hear God's voice. Read the Bible. Start there. It's his voice. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. Okay, three, journal. Start journaling. Everyone should be journaling. My four and a half year old is journaling. I'm journaling for him, but he likes to draw. And, uh, <clears throat> but we're creating, and he wants to. It's not because I'm forced. He desires. So he sees daddy outside in the, in the office praying. He wants to be there every morning. He asks to go. And it's amazing right now. Right now, I have like a couple. He's doing it for whatever reason. He also wants to watch Paw Patrol. But <laughs> we're watching. We're, we're teaching him this. Journaling is so important to catalog just your faith if you want to. Like, I, I, I love journaling what's going on, but prayers. Um, and then pray, pray with God. Here's how I want you to start praying. This is a, a thing I got from old Bible camp, youth camp. How many of you heard of Acts before? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You've seen this? This is like classic church. It's so good. Like I was talking to Alex about this in bed last night. And she's like, oh yeah, I, I got that in like junior high. And I'm, I use it every day. I'm like, babe, I like got late to the game or something. But this, why aren't we teaching this? I'm bringing it to the garden. Here's what it is. When you start off in prayer, remember acts, adoration. You're bringing your affections. Look at babies are saying, ah, adoration. Um, <laughs> adoration is bringing your affections to the Father, lavishing your love affectionately on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And praying. I, I prayed to the Trinity 
We have a, a God who is three in one. And I've learned to pray in different times to different, that's just what I do. Like I recognize, and I've learned it from desert, uh, desert fathers, but also just praying in the reality of who each, uh, other, the, the nature and character and image of God that we have is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so like Jesus calls us his friend at the end of John. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, he wants to be our friend? The Father calls you beloved. The Spirit is your counselor. These are rich words that should shape our adoration and affection. I've been counseled. I've been consoled by the Spirit in moments of crisis. Have you ever experienced that? I've been, I've been weeping on the floor because I felt the Father's love. When I felt unlovable, have you? can you give thanks for that? I can lay on the floor weeping, going, Jesus, as a friend, why would you die for my sins? We can learn to bring affection, adoration, awe and wonder to God. Uh, Obviously, I'm passionate about acts. (laughs) Confession. We bring our confessions. Every morning, I write out the things from the day before that I was off on. And it's a long list. I try. God, examine my mind. Examine my heart. What did I do wrong with my words, my thoughts, my actions? Who did I harm? I write it down and confess it. Because I feel it. I, and maybe you haven't felt it, but I think you, you feel it when you're off. And you're already forgiven. But this is a practice to regularly confess. The third is thanksgiving. We bring thanks to God. Constantly giving thanks. And lastly, it's our requests. What are the things on your heart? What are the things that you carry? And you don't have to go through, oh, these are all the things. He's not going to know. If I don't get it down, he's not going to answer. That's not how it works. In the moment, what are you caring for today? I'm worried about this job interview I have. My roommate's really bothering me. Lord, fix my roommate. It's my wife. Um, <laughs> I mean my one-year-old Amos. Uh, just kidding. Not kidding. Uh, no, Amos is great. Um, anyways, where do I go from here? Anyways, that's it. So here's why. Here's why we're doing all this. I, we're going to call our church into a season of prayer and fasting. Um, I just think Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about the spirit of the age that's, that's been produced by secularism um, is a type of demonic force that will not come out of Western culture without prayer and fasting from the church. It's time for us to take seriously the reality of what's in front of us. And the image that God's given me is that the Titanic is sinking and for so long the church is playing the violin as it sinks. It's not going to be because of light shows and great teaching and sermons and podcasts that the world knows Jesus. It's going to be because the church wakes up and lives Christian lives in a toxic culture and context. And people look on and say, I want what they have. It won't happen because you got the purpose-driven book. It will happen because your life is on fire in the presence of God. You've fasted, you've prayed, and you've learned to be with Jesus even when you don't feel like it. And you lived your faith for the rest of the world to see. That's where we're going. So brothers and sisters, will you please pray and learn how to pray? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.